Hi again, welcome everybody to the second episode of the podcast where we try to scratch just a little below the surface of coaching and look to find ways where we can all do it better. I mentioned last week that I started this podcast for two main reasons, the first being just to try and create some thoughtful debate for coaches at a time when none of us can be on the field or in the gym with our players, Um, and the second one and probably the main one was to try and raise some funds for Temple Street Children's Hospital. Uh, it's been 10 years now since one of my sons spent some time in Temple Street and, and it's only when you need to walk through their doors that you fully appreciate the incredible work that they do. So as I mentioned from the outset last week, nobody's getting paid for these. So if you do find some value in the content of the episodes, it would be great if you could find your way to donating whatever small couple of euros that you have to a very, very worthy cause. I'm delighted to say that we surpassed our fundraising target already in week one. Uh, and I just want to say a huge thank you to everybody who has given so generously so far. Hopefully, as we as we start to reach more people in the coming weeks with the podcast, that total for Temple Street should, should continue to grow also. Okay, so today's guest, I'm delighted to say, is a former Dublin footballer and most recently their coach of the all-conquering five-in-a-row side. Jason Sherlock here talks about his philosophies that drive his coaching, where they came from, the influence of other sports like basketball and soccer, uh, and how they were first implemented uh, in, in his coaching with the Dublin development squads and later on to the Dublin senior football team. I think there's loads here for coaches to really get stuck into and, and, and I hope you enjoy. And if you do, uh, be sure to like and subscribe and leave a review. It was great last week to get so much feedback and, and feel free to let me know what you think. Okay, perfect. Okay, Jason, so... Um, Thanks again for your time, man. I appreciate it. And and like I said earlier, I suppose, just really trying to have a, a chat and, and generally around coaching and the philosophy around that and how we create that kind of culture from not only, obviously, your experience recently as senior inter-county level and, and very successfully, obviously, but all the way down, I suppose, to that, to that underage, you know, boys and girls starting out playing under eights, tens, twelves, all the way up and, and, and how we can coach those people a little bit better and, and make sure that, you know, their experience is a really positive one through sport, I suppose, you know. So maybe just to start off, Jay, would you mind kind of talking about some of your, your earlier kind of contacts with coaches or, or people that stood out for you in terms of, of how they, they, you know, helped you to fall in love with, with, with whatever game it was you were playing? Yeah, sure. Um, like like all sports people um, and all aspiring coaches, and I, I still see myself in the aspirational uh, phase because we're learning all the time and I'm, re- I'm relatively n- new to coaching. But I suppose we're all um, a factor of our experiences. And as a sports person, I was lucky enough to play a number of different sports when I was younger and um, probably didn't have the physical traits to play at a high level. Um but certainly I had that intrinsic motivation. I was very determined. I was very uh, competitive, but I also had an aptitude to kind of understand the game and try to learn how to be as good as I could be in the game. Um, And with that in mind, I played a number of different sports, like started off mainly soccer. Actually, tennis was probably the first sport I played. Uh, And then when I went into St. Vincent's Class 7 school, I, I started playing basketball. Gaelic games were always there as a fan. I was a big fan of the dubs. And I suppose I had a, a, an interesting part in, in my G, my underage GAA, uh, which kind of along the way, I had a stop down in North Cork in a little parish called Ballyhay because my uncle was working down there in the meat factory just uh, outside Charleville Harbour meat factory at the time. But again, looking back, all those little touch points and all those experiences have had a big influence in my thoughts, my philosophies in terms of how you can be the best coach you can be. Yeah, it's fascinating, man. Yeah, and that that multi-sport um, start, I suppose, where you were playing tennis. I never realised you you'd play tennis actually, but tennis, soccer, basketball, Gaelic football. It's it's uh, it's now, now people are, are maybe talking about the idea of specialising too early, that people are, are pigeonholed into a sport and, um, you know, you're very tall, so you go play basketball from the time you're six and you'll only concentrate on basketball or swimming or whatever it might be. But that idea of, of playing multi-different, you know, so many different sports yeah, when you were, were getting younger, how did that help even just your, your playing the game, I suppose, first? 
Yeah, well, I, I, because I wasn't kind of formally, like particularly GA, like I know in this country, you kind of, you're in a parish, you're with that club. And nowadays you could be fast tracked there from eight years of age, probably younger. And, and that's where you are. But I didn't have that kind of formal con- connection with uh, particularly GA, but most most sporting clubs. I played actually Erin's Isle, the local in Finglas was the GA club, but they had a tennis club as well. I, I would have started going up there for, for lessons and, and joined the club. Soccer, I had Rivermount boys who were based in Finglas and I started there, I think, as, as an eight-year-old, but the youngest team they had was under 11. Um, so I, I wasn't really in that formal kind of training with a club kind of twice, three times a week, etc. I I went from, I was a bit of a nomad. I went from sport to sport in that sense. And looking back, I think that was of massive value to me. Um, academically, there's a lot now in terms of early specialization and the negative aspects to mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, like listening to the podcast last week in terms of Russ's thoughts about you don't want to be the best 11 year old. Mm-hmm. You want to be the best 19 or 20 year old. And again, I probably didn't formally train in GA until I was a minor. Uh, and I played for the senior team the, the next year. So again, m- my experience is that 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 experience and that kind of breadth of different sporting um, experiences, learnings, all made me the sports person I was in any in, in any sport. And I used to apply the learnings I had from other sports into whatever game I was playing. Yeah, and that's fascinating. And, and and like you said, that that rubber stamps the research that's that's out there now and the benefits of of exposing kids to to loads of different games and you know like tennis and your hand eye coordination or swimming and you know martial arts or basketball football and and the more the more experiences like that that, that you can give kids that the rounder their experiences and 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 when they do go and eventually specialize in a game like you probably did when you know by the time you were talking about minor that all those experiences had improved all those skills that you needed to play Gaelic football at a really high level. Well, well one, one kind of example of that, and I've kind of been thinking about this uh, in, in the last while, uh, in my my second Dublin Senior Championship game, it was the first game I started, was down, it was against Leash, and most people would know it for, I scored a goal without my boot on, and it's iconic, particularly for Dublin supporters. But actually, that's not the, that wasn't the coolest thing I did in that game. Near the end, I got felled uh, around kind of the 45 area. And I, I got the, I got felled and I had the ball in my hand. And I saw Vinnie Murphy making a run, a direct run to goal. And I remember getting the ball and I, I took a quick free. I was, I was facing the sideline, but I did it no look. And I lobbed it over the defender that was standing in front, who was 13 yards. And Vinny ran straight on to a like a train. It bounced once. He got it into his hands, went down on goal, but it just went over the bar. And I'm always raging he didn't score a goal because there's no footage of it that I I, I recall. Right. And again, like the point I'm making is if I was just a typical GA talk process, put down the ball, kick it over the bar. But that was, I had so many different instincts from playing soccer, going for goal, no look kind of deception, yeah. seeing the pass, putting it into his chest, all those kind of things made that pass. And again, I, I suppose it validated to me that those experiences. Uh, I'm just raging that no one has any footage of it. <laughs> <laughs> before before a video, yeah. But that 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 bit of imagination, oh, that's interesting that 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 it just seems to come with those with those kids that have that that wider experience of, of sport that it isn't that that very linear pathway from, from under sixes, eights and tens all the way up and and this kid is going to be the very best under 18 or under 20 or, or, or senior or whatever. But in, in terms of, of of moving on to the coaching side of it, NJ, so how, how did that exposure, I suppose, to, to loads of different sports, how did it kind of influence, you know, when you eventually started, you know, you obviously were coaching with, with Dublin and, and I'll cover that at the start, but how did it influence your coaching to, to, you know, when you're working with a group like that, how are you drawing on those experiences to maybe, you know, help get the most out of a group like that? So I, I would feel I'm kind of very early to my coaching career. Um, the first touch point was with the Dublin Development Squads in 2014. I was sounded out to see if I get involved and kind of head a development squad. And the theory was that you would bring a couple of years all the way up through the, the to, up through 13, 14, right up to minor. And I suppose firstly, when I thought about that, I kind of had to understand what would success look like. 
and straight away from from my point of view i thought developing people was the priority develop the people and the player would look after themselves so to do that that was my vision and to help me with that i needed good people around me people that were willing to volunteer and give their time some were former dublin players and others were just good people that had a care for for these young boys and were willing to give their time so that was really important um with that we kind of we used dubs as as a kind of a tool to kind of give us a bit of focus we wanted to develop potential understand challenges broaden horizons and sustain improvements and they were kind of statements and we kind of worked to make their, them real from our from our touch points with the kids and probably more important when they were away from us I think the key to any coach it's not the influence they have on on the kid when they're with you for the training mm. session it's the influence that they have away from you and um, so then moving on to the the senior inter-county context it is different because you're talking high performing, you're looking at certain goals that guys want to achieve. But still, I think the foundation of a, a good coach remains the same. And that's being there for your athletes and showing that you care and getting that trust, because I think that's the really important step. And really, I did that by initially by being at all training sessions uh, through the winter, be it early morning gym sessions, whatever they were, be, be at the sessions as much as I could. So straight away, the, the players could say, OK, yeah, no matter what I thought about him as a player, as a pundit, whatever it was, he's there for us now and let's build on that. And and they were that was kind of the starting block in terms of uh, wh- wh- where I went from. And looking back at my own career, like it was never the great coaches that influenced me. It was the people that had a care and a love of me and a consideration of our teammates. That's what made the big difference. And like happy to chat. And there's a few, I suppose, common common guys in, in our basketball worlds that would have had a big influence on me. But I think for any aspiring coach, it, it's a good first step to, to consider. Yeah, and I, I I love that, and and you've I've heard you reference that before about about you know talking about people as a, as opposed to coaches and and how much influence they've had in you, and and I like that you know the, the fact that you went into a development squad and and your ambition was to develop them as as individual people as opposed to a product and and what they could perform and you know with your squads or or eventually maybe with minor or senior level, but I, I'd love to know Jay just in terms of you know those those kind of um, you know those guidelines that you had for those. How, how did they manifest themselves? Like, how, how did you, you know, I know you're saying at senior level, you, you, you know, you attended every session during the winter and, and, and you were very present and all that stuff. But in terms of the development squad stuff, so maybe then 13, 14, 15, how did you, you know, practically uh, develop or, or try to set up a structure to develop them as people? What, what kind of steps did you take in that regard? Um, so again, in terms of context, Dublin development squads, we want to engage their hearts and minds mm. in the sense of playing for Dublin is really cool and it will help your life. You you will enjoy the opportunities that you will receive will help your life. And for me, it, it, it was quite easy to do it because I could stand in front of a group of 12 and 13 year olds and say, if I was standing with you guys at my age, no one, I wouldn't have believed that you guys wouldn't have believed that I would have played for Dublin for 15 mm-hmm. seasons. So straight away, I, I, I was able to kind of connect that bridge between where you were and where you could go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was really important. And like, for me, a big part of sport is that higher purpose in terms of representing. So it's representing a parish, representing a club. So that comes from engaging and lighting that fire in, in people and saying, I want to do it for me because now I see why I would like to do it as opposed to telling someone you should do this because you should want to uh, represent your club or you should want to do something. So that was a kind of subtle change. And I look back at that time and again, we weren't very successful in terms of a minor championship, but it was never a priority for us. It, it would have been nice to do be successful, but it certainly wasn't the priority. And like we, we all kind of pick and no different. I'm curious in terms of your thoughts and your, your ideas as a coach, we pick up things all over the place. But one, one term that has resonated with me is delayed gratitude. And I've heard you speak about the under 11 coach who wants to win the match at the weekend or wants to, wants to win the league. Like that's instant gratitude. Delayed gratitude is seeing 
guys that you had at whatever level and five or 10 years time that they still have a love and a, a desire and a commitment to whatever sport or organization they're involved in. So, so yeah, it, it is like, as a coach, it's important to understand what does success look like for you? Yeah. And it's a very holistic view, I suppose, of, of, of a coach's role within within sport and and with how they want to develop people, I suppose, as a, as opposed to players. But that's probably a a shift. It is a shift. I mean, you know, in every sport, not just in the GA, it's a shift from from a coach's mentality and a parent's mentality, whereby you know they'd love to see their their ten year old or eleven or twelve or thirteen year old be the the best athlete and be the best footballer, the best soccer player, the best rugby player. Uh, but you know, there's a point you're making. There's there's probably a bigger picture that 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 is eventually, I think, starting to seep its way down to coaching at, at all levels, really, isn't it? Yeah, but like I, I have no issue with the aspiration of, of parents or coaches wanting the best for, for their athletes. But what I, what I would like and what I challenge and what I'd like, like parents and coaches to think about is what you're doing, is that serving that purpose? And I think the challenge is for, for, for a, if you have an attitude of telling your athlete or your, 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 your kid to do certain things. Like ultimately when they're a bit more mature and they have an understanding of what's right or wrong, they mightn't decide to do certain things. For sure. And so how do you, how do you, in terms of let's, let's jump forward to, we'll say the, the just the, the Dublin scenario again for a little bit. Um, and in terms of, as opposed to telling what, how, how, how are you running that session or how are you, how are you engaging them in a way that, that is developing that kind of motivation that you're talking about to, to want to play if you're a younger kid and then to obviously want to really strive and perform at your top level if you're, if you're in that senior bracket. Um, so for, for the development squads, I suppose what we, what we set out for every session or what, what was success for us was one, that the, the kids were engaged and they enjoyed the session, that they had a smile in their face. Obviously, you would like to challenge them in terms of make them think about what they're doing and why, why they're doing it in terms of the game. So again, I'm happy to talk about the actual type and the content of the games or the, the training sessions that you're desire, designing, but probably more important that you reflect on the session and they understand, okay, how can I be better for the next session? What do I need to think of? What do I need to work on? And what can I do personally and individually between now and the next session that's going to improve me for the next day? And again, I suppose their ideals and like their aspirations, but I suppose that was the intention that we had from, from session to session. Mm. Yeah, and that's, and that's, that's beautiful stuff. Like if you can get to that point, it's a, it's a great place to be, obviously. And uh, in, in terms of... You know, where that has gone now, Jay, in, in terms of that kind of very holistic view that you, you, you hold from where it was maybe when you were starting out, where did, talk to me maybe about the journey in terms of coaching from when you were playing as a very young guy in, in all those different games to, to where it is now in your most current experience or your most recent experience, I suppose, with Dublin. What kind of, what kind of transition has, has, has coaching taken in that period of time in your experience? Yeah, well, I think because of my my involvement in basketball, I kind of understood coaching a lot more than I would have if I had just played ga or soccer. Um, I think by design of the game of basketball, it's only five players. So those five players are very much in tune of, of each other in terms of what's going on. And my experience of when I played um, soccer or Gaelic football or hurling, it was a lot more chaotic. It, there wasn't much structure in terms of what was going on. It typically, a game depended on how well your talented players did and whether they had a good game or they didn't. Um, whereas I think, like all aspects of sports, sports science, the coaching, everything, there's a lot more knowledge and there's a, a lot more of a thirst from the players playing to understand things. And I think with that has come, I suppose, a lot more of a, a structured understanding of games and like nowadays it's no secret that like Gaelic football can be broken down into elements of play and you can have a kind of a thought and a strategy about each kind of segment of play that, that fits your style or fits your philosophy. So definitely there's a, a, a more of an understanding from a tactical point of view. Like I think where I was coming from when I was younger, because I wasn't the biggest player, I kind of depended on my teammates anyway. And then in terms of my position as a point guard on a basketball court, 
part of your role was understanding what was working, what wasn't working, how you could maximize the strengths of your team, et cetera. You were very in tune with what the coach was saying. So I suppose my playing was an extension of how I thought as a coach. And I suppose I still kind of think with that mindset or thought process. Yeah, point guard is always nearly an extension of, of, of the coach's beliefs, but they're fine until they don't pass you the ball and you get a little cross for them. But uh, it, it's interesting, though, that, that like the relationship... Well, we, were just there, we were just there to make big guys like you look <laughs> Yeah. Um, that relationship, Jay, between, between basketball coaching and football coaching, maybe just talk a little bit more about, about that relationship and how it's starting to influence Gaelic football a little bit more. Um, like... Just as I said just previously, there I think tactically basketball have been have have been there's a a, a bigger level of coaching in, in in basketball over a number of years because the game is set up that way. It's a smaller game. It's very defined. You either have the ball or you don't. GA has gone on that journey, and we have got a lot more, I suppose, uh, knowledgeable coaches that can can break a game down and can focus on an area. But ultimately, it comes down to the players that are playing, and there, there can be an argument about the the put tactics around the players or do you put players around the tactics. Personally, I think it's about the players, and we we were lucky in a Dublin context. We were lucky that we had a lot of players that were were willing to listen, willing to learn, and willing to make decisions based on what's best for the team. And if you have an open mind, and if you have a, a cohort and a culture like that that's a really great place for a coach to be because then you're able to listen and you're able to kind of provide kind of little things that might assist that journey. And yeah, again, and like I probably I, I turn it back when it comes to Dublin, you, you managed against Dublin very recently. I suppose when you see Dublin or when you prepare for that game, what did you see that potentially wouldn't be typically with a, a typical GA team or typical nuances that you would associate with a, a Gaelic games uh, team? There's, well, there's, you can definitely see there's there's bits and pieces like, you know, uh, Kilkenny loves this little backdoor cut and they do it every time, roughly the same side where he's making that run out towards the ball and then he sticks his foot in the ground and and goes back door for the hand pass over the top. And, um, you know, Brian Fenton is like, and it, and it, it's, it's a real understanding that they have that these are nothing major, but these couple of really um, small little bits and pieces, but there's a real shared understanding that everybody knows in this situation, this is a really good option for us to do. And, and you can see him doing it to, to death in, in some games. And, you know, the one where, where guys are coming off and, and I slip you a hand pass and there's a little bit of a, a, a brush screen just to give the, the, the shooter an extra yard or two to, to have a shot at goals. All those small little things weren't really being done in the last you know, maybe maybe prior to the last ten years, and and now we're starting to see a lot more teams start to to use those. Even even the the language being used about Gaelic football now transition. Like as as, as somebody who played basketball, we're we're listening about transition since since we were yeah high, and and people were talking about going from back to front, getting a rebound, and pushing the ball, and and making good decisions on the fly. And now all that kind of language is even coming into GA about you know how we transition the ball from defense to attack, and and conversely going the other way. Um, so there's and, and look, you can see elements of, of lots of different games, but it's it's just uh, I think it's still a lot of that is 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 coaching. And, and I know you can say, you know, the players are very talented. Of course, they are. And there's no question about that. But a lot of counties have talented players. And and it's about I, I just think it's about sharing kind of knowledge so that people can can understand what it takes to get teams up to that kind of a level and, and, and players up to that level, you know. But um, and, and, and I just think with that, Jay, like I, I'm, I'm conscious here that there's probably coaches from from maybe loads of sports and juvenile coaches as you know senior coaches may, maybe like in terms of the relationship between drills and 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 games in your in your session now, I don't want to get heavy into the content of the actual sessions but where are you on that on that whole kind of um debate about you know the use of of drills and and games and and maybe a breakdown of that roughly yeah, like and again to remove it from a, a Dublin context yeah. this is more my own beliefs I think the, the like game specific kind of sessions as opposed to drill based sessions for me makes a lot more sense. Um, like one thing that always resonated, um, Bill Belichick from an NFL kind of coaching background and listening to kind of 
uh, in reflection of successes that they had. A, a big kind of objective for his coaching team is to put his players in different situations on the training pitch that pr- prepares them then for the real thing. And I think like you cannot prepare someone for a game situation by doing a drill. That's that's the reality. Now, I take it there are times when drills can be helpful for improving a technical skill or stuff like that, but it's very hard to kind of replicate the decision-making uh, element of Gaelic football. And at the end of the game, like if, if you look at Gaelic football and hurling as games, like they're a lot more chaotic than they are structured or ordered. Like you take a game like rugby union, there's a lot of breaks, there's a lot of set plays. So it's a very ordered game. GA is very chaotic, you know? So I suppose it's trying to kind of prepare the players as best you can to make the decisions in that chaos. And, and that comes from preparation. So it, it, it certainly does come from the training ground and it comes from experiences, you know, like, like all teams, you're going to have challenges. You're going to have good days as well. It's how you can reflect on those and then apply them into your next practice session mm-hmm. to make you better or, or kind of more comfortable when you face that challenge the next time. Yeah. And, and the big the big argument you'll hear from uh, maybe underage coaches, again, I, I don't want to, it's not just GA, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, every kind of invasion game that you can talk about, whether it's basketball or your rugby. But the big thing with, with that GBA or the games based approach to coaching is, is they talk about skill development and, and are you are you neglecting skill development by not spending a lot of time working on your drills or, you know, how, how do you see how do you see that skill development side of it being being um, being catered for, I suppose, within a lot of game based sessions? Well, I, I think like all, like all, like any anything you do in a coaching session as a coach, you need to ask why, why, why you're doing it, and in your pre- preparation for a session, you need to go through with a fine tooth comb. Well, why are we doing this? So when it, when a player and you hope he does, that player asks you, well, why are we doing this? As a coach, you should have an explanation, or you should present the context before you do any any session or any element of your of your. Uh, training session and um, I think that's the first part I think then in terms of games-based um, sessions you can emphasize skills so if you feel the team need to work on blocks you can have a game that the scoreboard is on blocks it, it could be if it's weaker side it could be a point for weaker side you know so again it's just about preparing what do you want to get out of something why are you going to do it and then apply a game-based situation to the objectives and the learnings you will get from that then you will get the reflection piece to say okay the score we we, we were looking at our weak foot the score was four three should we be able to score more with our weak foot yes okay so between now and the next session what can you do what can you do as a player to make sure that the score next week is 21 20 you know so again that's that's how i would contextualize game-based sessions versus just doing drills yeah, absolutely. So that so that your your outcome is something that that's already agreed, and and that you're looking to target a certain area that maybe you didn't do very well last week or the last session or whatever. So that that game is then designed around trying to get the outcome that 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 maybe a previously a drill would have would have would have done for you. Whereas now you're you're trying to do that within within as you described the chaos of a of a game situation. One thing I've learned in my experience is the scoreboard is a terrible judge of a coach. And I think there's we are consumed at all levels about judging ourselves based on what the scoreboard said. There are so many other kind of KPIs or measurables that we could work on and look at to determine success and, and progression. But we just, we fall into that, whether it's our ego or whether it's perception, we feel we must win. Winning at all costs determines whether we're a success or a failure. So it's one thing I always challenge with, with particularly at an underage, like do, do not determine whether you're successful or unsuccessful based on the on the scoreboard. And it was something that was very true to us over the last number of years. When we had that perceived success, it would be very easy for the players or the coaching staff to kind of get soft and warm and fuzzy about that. But we had different kind of measurables that we were going after and you can apply that to any level. What are some of those KPIs that you just kind of mentioned there? Yeah, well, I, I don't think there's, again, there's any secret in them. If you break the game up, I suppose the foundation of all games is hard work. 
So can you put, can you look at the way your team plays and put in some measurables that, that will kind of measure hard work? Obviously, a couple of the basic ones are maybe a tackle. It could be a block, um, those type of things. It could be how many, uh, how many forced wides there are. So that could be one. Um, another one is communication. This is, and again, it's probably something that I would have taken from basketball and actually soccer um, when I was with St. Kevin's around 16 or 17. I played a few games with their senior team and I couldn't believe the communication. It was the first time I was exposed to literally people being my eyes in terms of time here on your left, whatever it was. So can you put in measurables for communication? So like, do you reward someone that either encourages or gives instruction to, to your teammates? You know, something you can do at any level. Mm -hmm. And then obviously from an offensive point of view, it could be kicking, kick pass into chest, it could be, um, what could it be, like hand pass. It could be making space for, for another player. You know, all little things that go on in every game, but sometimes we just get, get comfortable looking at the scoreboard. But can we? could we come out of a game and say, OK, forget that. This is what we decided we were going to measure ourselves on today. And this is how we did. You know, I think I think coaches will get a lot more satisfaction in that. And I think actually players would, underage players would, because again, like what does success look like for those players? It's not about having that best team at under 13. It's about giving these guys the tools to go on and progress so they can be better players in their later years. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I love that that whole idea. I think it's a it's a big shift, though. It's a, it's a big shift for people to try and put less emphasis on the result and, and not, you know, be determined, like you mentioned there, the worst way you can determine a good or a bad coach is, is by wins and losses, especially at juvenile level, you know, but I, I heard you speaking during the week just about that and, and, and the, the juvenile sport and, and where we are in the GAA, among most sports, you know, we're, we're losing so many kids at, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years of age, our numbers in the GA climb like a rocket up to, you know, eights, tens, twelves, it starts to plateau and then we fall off a cliff. Um, no, it's not all, it's not all coaching. Obviously there's loads of different reasons for that. Um, but one of those is, is probably, you know, it is probably coaching. There's an, there's an element of that where, where we can all start to do it better. But what are, what are some of the things, Jay, that, that you would love to see at that underage level that we could start to, change in this country that would maybe help those numbers to sustain a little bit longer and, and people have that more lifelong kind of sustained uh, engagement with sport as opposed to something that becomes a chore after 14 or 15 years of age yeah like it is a broad discussion and i think the ga like to their credit are very well placed in terms of having a pipeline and a network throughout this country and like going back to my own my own kind of um, experience, like playing Gaelic football or hurling and representing a GA club, it was a proud thing to do. And it was something that I wanted to do and I was motivated to do. So that that still remains, that, ne that needs to be there, that, that you can connect at, at a level where young boys and girls say, do you know what, it is, I would love to do that. It would be worth me investing it, my time in, in representing uh, that club or that county. I think the challenge we have at the moment, and as you say, it's not just a GA challenge, is participation. And we, we might think we're doing the right thing by saying, oh, well, success breeds success. If we get them successful at underage and under 10, that will breed success and it'll keep them going. When, in fact, the evidence is the opposite, that, that that's where it creates, and uh, Russ mentioned the word burnout last week in the, in the podcast. I think that's what creates the burnout because the expectation, the demands of winning games is, is brought in at a young age. Whereas if we focus on the kind of longer term, holistic approach where we're, we're engaging hearts and minds, we're developing people as well as the players, and, and the, these young boys and girls will have a value to a club way past when they stop playing. And the Gaelic club has an opportunity to, to kind of get that identity fixed with young boys and girls. So when they're older and when they're not playing, that they're still involved with the, with the club. So yeah. I think at that level, the kind of 
capturing as many into our pipeline, I think, is really important. Then going to the other side, because this is always mentioned as well, is about the high performers. That oh, If you do that, you, you're, you're not doing enough for the high performers. Yeah. They're not going to progress. And the reality is Gaelic Games are very well placed to look after those kind of the top 1%. We have the development squads. They'll be identified, all that kind of stuff. But something really interesting that I would have come across, um, it's through Pro- Professor Anya McNamara. She's based in DCU now, but she has a paper called The Rocky Road. Mm. And we all know the talented 12 or 13 year old boy or girl that is a superstar and kind of cruises through matches, plays midfield, scores, defends, does the whole lot. But like th- there will be a time where that superstar will be up against either people that are physically as good or technically as good as them. And unfortunately, sometimes those those kids don't have the coping tools for that. And um, Anya's thought process about the rocky road is as a coach, can you put in those interventions into your sessions to challenge those players that when they come to the time where they need to develop because they're in a different level, that they're able to do it? And how many how many young boys and girls have we seen that have, have cruised through their kind of teens and then they rock up to an under 21 team or a senior team and they're never heard of again? And I suppose that from a coaching perspective like if you can put in those interventions, that rocky road for your kind of high potential or your talented players, that's a really interesting space for, for you to think about. Yeah, I've, I've read and I heard her speak at, the, at one of the conferences above in Croke Park as well. I read her uh, research. It's, it's fascinating. It's really interesting. And, and particularly in that space of, of, of youth sport and, and, and developing juvenile you know, players in any sport and how, how I suppose, how the challenge is that, that you do look after those high performers as such, even though there's no real high performers at 12 or 13 or 14 years of age, but those kids that are maybe identified as being, you know, better athletes or they move better and they're better ball skills, how you do challenge those in that way is, is, is really fascinating. So that maybe like you're talking about, Jay, you know, holistically, sort of by the time they get to that age, they've dealt with maybe, you know, setbacks. They haven't had it all their own way all the way up because they're the biggest, strongest, fastest, most dominant player. And uh, it's 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 a really, um, it's an interesting one. But I was looking at, you know, that, that some of the, the stuff that came out of New Zealand during, was it last week or whatever, just in terms of the way that they're trying to target their sporting organisations. They're in a similar position to Ireland and feel that they've, you know, hemorrhaging kids at, at that kind of age group. Again, that we're talking about 14s and 15s and, and how they have collectively come to be- together with their kind of sporting bodies to say, okay, we're going to really kind of reshape what we're doing with sport in this country because we feel we're losing too many kids and we need to put an emphasis back on on that lifelong participation in sport as opposed to the emphasis that had got to a stage of, of being, you know, a little bit too much about, about that top 1%, as you mentioned. Yeah, and, and it is, like, and again, that's what does success look like? And again, we have, as a country, we've always been about competition, competition and success. You look at, and I, I was involved in a, a development a committee, a GA committee, to look at development squads and the role and the purpose they have. And like one of the big elephants in the room is the, the minor championship and how it's positioned, uh, mm. playing that game in front of, preceding an All-Ireland Senior Final. Like, is that giving the right message in terms of what it is, both from the player's perspective, but in a a lot of ways from the coach's perspective, that they think that this is the next stepping stone to being the next Jim Gavin or the the next kind of Kerry manager, you know? So, like, that is an interesting piece in that whole kind of thought process. And I think we are at a stage, and particularly when we come out of these lockdowns, having to engage and, and kind of get our young boys and girls out and involved in team sports, it's going to be a massive challenge, not just for GA, but for, for sport in general. So I, I think that kind of more joined up thinking and the more kind of collaborative approach, I think, will be really important. And and funny, just to, on, on that you know, the, as you as you mentioned, the development squads, Jay. Just what were uh, what were some of the thoughts on that? Actually, playing that minor it, it, once you're not breaching any confidences, but playing that minor game before the All Ireland final and Munster finals and Leinster finals. What was the what were the kind of thoughts in the meeting about that? Um, well, it, thankfully, in terms of the the committee that were there, we all felt that it would make sense based on where we saw development squads and the role of development squads. It would make sense that 
that that minor championship would be removed from that senior senior game because as I mentioned it, it was providing the wrong message and in, in our opinion because we yeah. felt success would be the, the success of a development squad it wasn't about getting further inter-county footballers it was providing an outlet for high potential um, club players to understand that they are at a level and what influence they could have when they go back to their club and like being a role model for their club, being an exemplar for their club, like leading the way for their teammates and stuff like that. Whereas my perception of at the moment, the minor championship is potentially about, well, can we get two or three of those guys that are going to play for the senior into county football team? And I'm not sure that's why we, we should have development squads. Yeah, and again, most of the guys now are, are probably sixteen years of age playing those. So it's it's a it's a young age to put that to put that kind of um, demands on somebody as well, I suppose. But um, Jay, we're we're nearly there. But I, I I'm just I, like this is I, I'm fascinated with some of the some of the stuff that you've you're trying out there. But in terms of coaches, Jay, who are who are looking to improve like we have a lot of coaches maybe who are getting involved with, with with whatever club they're involved with because maybe their son or daughter have started playing and um you know they've probably been doing it a couple of years now and they, they've gone through the you know the basic kind of coach education um courses that are there by all the associations but in terms of of somebody who's looking to improve and and, and get better at what they do and like you've spoke about games based coaching you've spoke about you know that you know developing a philosophy or that culture if if people are looking to to really push themselves into that kind of a space here where you know what what are things that coaches can do to really keep improving in that way yeah, I think you need to be be curious. You you need to kind of continue to look to learn. Um, what m- my sense is, there are no there are no secrets to coaching. It's how coaches apply their learnings, their experience that makes makes the difference. So at a, at any level, I think you can improve as a coach. Um, and like I've referred to this before in the past, I think it's not about being a good coach. It's about being a good person. If you have a care and a connection with an athlete, you will serve that, that, that athlete as well as you can. So that if that means then you need to upskill in a certain way, if you need to contribute, you will do that because you have the kind of the tools as a good person would. Um, I think just on kind of some broader things, as a coach, I think we're given two eyes, two ears and one mouth. And I think to coach with that perspective, it's amazing what you will hear it's amazing what you will see if you open your eyes. And I think when you look at your athletes, if you, it, it, rather than making a decision based on what you think, if you can, if you can put it back and say, well, why, why are they acting like that? Why are they making that decision? Why are they feeling that way? I think there's so, so many things you can unlock if you, if you challenge yourself that way. Um, a term that I would, you would hear in a coaching perspective is confirmation bias. And again, we all have certain confirmations in our heads that Asher, he always he always kicks it wide from that side. And like he mightn't do it for like a year, but then as soon as he does it, you go, Asher, didn't I tell you? And it's that you, as a coach, you almost feel better because, yeah, that's what yeah. I thought. And it's it's how you can challenge that confirmation bias all the time. And I'm bringing an open mind to every situation. Every day you have to you have to deliver. You have to demonstrate to your team that you can add value. But also they're looking to learn and they're going to bring energy as well to you. So just face every situation, every every challenge with an open mind. I, I don't think you'll go too far wrong. Yeah. And, and Russ had a, had a great line last week where, he, we were talking about him learning to fiddle and, and different things, and he, he just thought that it, for a, for a coach, to, for a good coach, it's important to be a learner at something. Um, whether that was you were trying to pick up a new sport or a musical instrument or whatever it was, but just to put yourself in that space where you're 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 almost like a six or eight year old again trying to pick up different things and and learn it from scratch, and and it gives you that sense of empathy, I suppose, with you know with with the kids that you're coaching who are trying to learn something for themselves, maybe maybe for the first time or, or try to get it right, you know. Yeah, well, like if, if you peel the layers back and like it, it challenges the time, obviously, to commit time, particularly for in a part time role and all that. You have so many you have so many players and so many challenges. But if you t- take the time to peel back what's behind a, a behavior, a thought process, a decision in a game, 
like the player has the answer it's not the coach that has the answer it's the player that has the answer but again as a coach can you establish that trust that relationship that empathy that a player can communicate what they're feeling or why they're doing what they're doing so again it, it like and that's the great thing about it as a coach you will never you will never kind of get to that end position you you will always have areas where you can learn or improve and certainly my own experience as limited as it would be I came out of the five years with the senior team coming coming back kind of kind of regretting so many areas that I, I could have done better and areas where I could have improved and I suppose that's that's what I'll take with me into my my next experience whatever it is yeah very good and I love that the players always have the answer but the only way we're going to find out if they have the answer is is by asking the question, obviously, and that's probably that's probably another another place that coaches have to have to get to, especially at you know at, at every age group, but at, at those underage groups that we're actually, you know, you mentioned challenging the players earlier, and and challenging by asking the questions like why did that break down or how could we do that better if we had the ball in this situation again, let's let's just take a second now and think about our options and how could we do it better. Um, I think that that'd be a fabulous place to get there if we could. Yeah, I think as a coach, and you, you position that really well, and I, I, I would always think like this, a good coach isn't a coach that has all the answers. A good coach is the coach that can ask the questions that will provide the answer. And we had a tactic during our development squad. We had one simple tactic. It was three words, figure it out. That was that was our tactic that we we empowered the, the kids we we practiced so we would prepare them for situations but once we got to a game day it was about them to enjoy it and learn from it and whatever they come came across on that given day figure it out figure it out what what you need to do so um yeah it it, it, it was a, a nice thought to have yeah simple but like really really effective you know and and that whole power of of questioning you know when you're asking people questions you know, the sense of ownership that you're giving people when they're the ones that are coming up with the answers. And as you say, they're the ones that are figuring it out on the fly when they're they're going to be on a game or during a game or whatever. So if you're challenging them in that way during a session, it can only lead to that 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 better performance when, when we see the same kind of chaos in a game. Exactly. Yeah. And that's all we want to do is to to, to provide the tools for our, our young athletes, our young boys and girls or whatever team we have, that once they come across a situation yeah, we know we know we've we've thought about this, we've practiced this, this is how we think we should we should respond to this situation. So um not, it's not rocket science. No, and, and just the, the last thing, Jen, I, I'll let you go on this. I've just I'm interested to get your take on 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 just you know culture. What what is that kind of you know, when, when you hear that in the sporting context, what does that mean to you? Or or how, how do you go about maybe developing that kind of a positive culture within your group or within your team? And, you know, maybe just give them an understanding of what that means to you and, and, and the level that you've been at. Yeah, and I think it's not just exclusive to sport. It, it, from a business perspective, I've spoken to a lot of organizations in this area as well. And culture like all successful teams now you can look at the culture that they had and it, it's certainly a, a fundamental part of any any success both sporting wise or, or an organization a couple of comments i would have on it is culture has to be unique to that environment your own environment you cannot copy and paste the all blacks culture or the dublin senior football culture into your team or your organization it has to be authentic to what you're doing and what I would say from a cultural point of view, we see a lot of mission statements in a business environment where this is our mission. But does that mission relay to the actions of your players or your workforce and employees? Does it resonate when they get out of bed in the morning that they want to live and they want to act based on what that culture or those mission that mission uh, is looking to aspire to? And sometimes there's a disconnect between the mission or the culture that we're actually looking for versus the habits and and what we're we're how we're living. Um, so I, I absolutely do see it's a fundamental uh, piece of a successful team or organization. But I would challenge what your culture is, what does it look like? And certainly in my experience, um, a lot of the nuggets, a lot of the gold dust is when you actually challenge your own culture and your values and see, well, actually, are we are we living and breathing what we're actually saying we want to do? And you'd be amazed what that will bring up in terms of areas for improvement. And, and just in terms of that disconnect that you mentioned there, 
um, th- that maybe you're not living, you know, that actual mission statement or, 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 or what, you know, that tagline is or whatever. How, how do you go about making sure that that disconnect doesn't exist or doesn't happen? Is it something that you, you involve your players when you're trying to develop this? Or is it something that you as, a, as an under 16 manager or a minor manager or a senior manager is coming up and saying, OK, lads, this is our culture here and this is what we're going to do? So I think culture has to be driven from the top down in the sense of a vision and having putting culture as an important block in terms of your progression and and your future. But I think culture has to be driven then from the bottom up. It has to be it has to come from the people who are living and breathing the culture. There's no there's no you, you can't go into the leash. Uh, dressing room tomorrow and say this is the culture I want and this is how I want you to behave because there's no boy in there like it's all well it's okay for you Mike to have your vision and where you want to go but ultimately it's the players that are going to live and breathe that so it's up to them then to work out well what does that mean for them as players and then like at least it's coming from them and it's real to the people that you want to empower and engage yeah and 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 for whatever I think one of the key things you just listening to there for the last 50 minutes or whatever that that idea of involving those involving the players in 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 whatever it is if you're if it's your sessions and you were asking them questions or if it's talking about developing that culture that there has to be that buy-in or there has to be involvement from them to have that sense of buy-in that sense of connection and ownership to the whole thing so um i think that's fascinating man i've really i really enjoyed that for the last couple of minutes is there before we wrap up is there anything maybe that that i didn't get to that you you wanted to throw out here and, and coaching or are you uh, are you happy enough now and again i should tell people as well the last time i saw jason was actually in in duke's golf club where where uh, he left very unhappy after himself and his brother-in-law got um Got got their tails handed to him by myself and Kieran Donahue. So sorry for bringing that up, man. But you know, I thought we we nearly got through the whole thing, but without mentioning it. But uh, I, might, again, I might I might edit it out. I'll see. I'll see. <laughs> you you certainly lived up to the Q Kerry horror um, context and uh, I suppose interpretation and impression we have of you guys. But certainly we were hijacked. Uh, we'll have to get you back on home ground. It wasn't fair for us to play down in Kerry. We we need to get you up to Dublin. <laughs> Uh, to give us a chance <laughs> but no I think I, I think um, one happy delighted to contribute and I think coaching is a collaboration from from every sport from every walk of life there, there are opportunities to learn and grow and kind of implement things into your own philosophy into your own kind of habits as a coach so I think what you're doing is great I think as well you've mentioned in terms of if people can support uh, Temple Street Hospital I work in a fundraising team for DCU. We've seen the power of philanthropy over this lockdown in terms of the difference people can make at any level by giving back and people understanding what's actually important in their lives, I think is a powerful thing. So again, Temple Street is is one of those organizations that does so much for, for our country. So if people can support, obviously, We'll be delighted if they can, and definitely, Jason. I I, I want to thank you sincerely, man, because I know everybody everybody's busy now, and it's 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 a crazy time. But uh, just to reiterate what what Jason said, lads, about about Temple Street, um, like again. No one's getting paid for for doing this. So all all I'm asking is that if if you have enjoyed the content and 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 listened to someone like Jason, who's obviously you know won it all at 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 a coaching level, um, it would be fantastic if you could find your way to 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 find the link below and just um, you know donate whatever whatever couple of euros that you had in your pocket um, to a very very worthy cause, and and uh, they'd be more than appreciative of, of getting whatever you could. So Jason, thanks a million again for your time. I really appreciate it, uh, and uh, talk soon, everybody.